Hey, good morning. Morning, everyone. Hey, what do you think of this shirt? Brian asked me if I was starting a bowling league. And I told him, yes, I was, as a matter of fact. And so anybody wants to be on my team, you can uh, let me know and we'll get something going. So, Hey, if you have a Bible or a device, let me ask you or I encourage you to take it. Turn to Acts chapter 2 where we've been uh, all throughout this series, and uh, today we want to focus in on just verse 46, and then another verse from uh, the book of Acts just a few chapters later. Uh, You might want to also reach inside your worship folder and pull out the message notes. They're right here. You can get to them on your app as well, and that has the verses and uh, blanks you can fill in and some white space where you can write some notes if you care to do so. Well, we have been in a series on the church, ecclesia. But you know, what do we mean when we say church? For some, when you say church, you're talking about this thing that we're doing right here, right now. All of us gathered here together on a Sunday morning. For some of you, when you talk about the church, you're talking about this building that's located here on Stigler Road in Gehanna. Uh, For some, when you talk about the church, you're talking about the organization. You know, this thing here that uh, has a vision and a mission and has a budget and uh, does missions and ministry and uh, all of these different things. For some of you, when you think church, you think all saved Christians everywhere. You know, the universal church, the thing that all of us are a part of if we are in Christ Jesus. For others of you, you think of little localized individual bodies of believers who are rallied together like New Life Church or any number of churches that you'll probably drive past on your way home today. So really, it's all these things, but primarily when we talk about the church, we mean us. It's the people, right? The Bible never tells us to go to church It tells us to be the church. And so when someone asks you, hey, where's your church? The right answer should be, well, some of it's right here in front of you, you know, talking to you. Because we're the church, saved individuals, baptized believers, united around the vision and mission of Jesus. That's why we say it's Jesus's church. It's his vision. It's his mission. And so we go to church. We're a part of the church. We attend church. We serve at the church. We invite people to church. We love the church, but most accurately, we are the church. And so Luke is writing in Acts chapter 2 about the first church, the Jerusalem church, the church that broke out right after Pentecost. And he says in verse 46, he says this word is part of his description of it. He says, every day, They, the church, they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So what this verse shows us is that the early church really operated in two primary environments. They gathered consistently as a large group in the courtyard of the temple area. And they also gathered in smaller groups in their homes. 
We see the same expression over a few chapters later, Acts chapter 5, verse 42, where it says, day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the very nature of these two different environments should lend itself to two very different types of interactions. Large groups are in rows. Everybody kind of, even, even if it's not a seating situation, you're gathered together, you kind of form rows, everybody looking forward, everybody looking in rows towards one person or a group of people at the front. And then small groups are circles, you know, kind of around looking at each other, seeing in our homes, looking in the eyes of each other. Now, you may not know this, but this practice of these two different types of gathering was really the practice of the early church for the first 300 years of its existence, except for when it, there were times of persecution and they could only meet secretly in small groups in their homes. But when they weren't under persecution, they followed that twofold expression, those two gatherings, those two patterns. There were no church buildings until the third century. And they happened after Constantine became a Christian, and he felt that it was beneath him as the Roman emperor to go to someone's home. And so he began to commission for the building of church homes for the church to meet in. And when that happened, it just naturally led to an altering of the structure that more and more meetings were happening, more and more gatherings were happening in the large uh, group setting in the church building. Bill Beckham, in his book, The Second Reformation, talks about the church for the first 300 years, and he called it a two-wing church, that it flew because it had the, the, the two wings of large group and small groups, of, of rows and circles working together to help it really just thrive across the Roman Empire those first 300 years. But he says what happened is when the church became a one-winged church, that it really impacted it, that it changed uh, the way it did things. And so we believe that there's value in the meeting together with the whole bunch of us and doing the kind of things that work well when there's a whole bunch of us, but also meeting, gathering in the environment where uh, of smaller groups where there's few of us and we know each other and we can see each other, look each other more intimately, be involved with each other. And so that's why at New Life, really since almost the beginning, we followed this dual New Testament structure for the church of gathering for celebration on the weekends like we're doing right now and balancing that with gathering in smaller groups throughout the week. And this is still our approach. It's why our pastors and ministry leaders are all part of small groups. It's why we emphasize small groups so much, um, that it's part of our ministry partner co covenant, that we really want you. We think you'll benefit the most by being a part of a small group. It's why I meet all the time with people who are new or people who want to get connected to a small group, and I help them 
in that process. In fact, I regularly tell people who are new to new life that if you don't get connected to a small group, you're going to really be just a free agent around here until that happens, that that's where the connection will come. That's where you're going to meet people and get involved with other people. That's because we pastor and shepherd our people through small groups. In fact, if you're expecting Pastor Steve to pastor you, let me just tell you right now, you're going to be disappointed because there's just one of him and way too many of you, right? I mean, he'll love you, he'll pray for you, he'll care for you, but you need to be part of a small group to be pastored and to be shepherded here at New Life. And so today what I want to do is I want to lock in on these two key environments that were the structural practice of the church for its first 300 years and that we still feel is the best practice for Christians today, gathering in these two different environments. Um, I read just a few months ago this book right here called The Art of Gathering. It's by Priya Parker. Priya Parker's not a Christian. Uh, this isn't a Christian book. What Priya Parker is, is she's a hospitality coordinator. And what she does by profession is she does really big gatherings. You know, something that uh, rich people might put on or businesses might put on. You know, elaborate things, sometimes not necessarily elaborate, but she coordinates these things. But in her book, she makes this point, which I thought was so thought-provoking. What Priya Parker says is, whatever gathering you're having, whether it be some large event, or just having a few people over to your house for dinner, you will do well to think first, what's the point of doing that? Why are you doing this? What are you hoping to be the outcome of doing this? And so if you understand the why behind the what, you'll be able to accomplish your purposes all the better for any gathering. And so I thought there would probably be real value in us just taking a look at these two gatherings of both the early church and, again, the way we feel that every new lifer needs to be a part of these two weekly gatherings for our purposes, and to see what the, pur the purposes of each are. Now, we do a lot of other gatherings. These aren't the only two gatherings we have. We gather for a lot of other reasons, right? We gather for ministry. We gather to serve. We uh, gather to fellowship. We gather, like Yvonne said, to work on our marriages. We uh, gather for fellowship. We gather for Lots of things. We gather for, uh, in places to just help us increase our spiritual knowledge. You know, things like our spiritual development classes and pipeline and uh, Bible study fellowship and a number of things are, are worthwhile gatherings. But we think that these two key New Testament gatherings really are head and shoulders above the rest and really should be a part of every one of our regular weekly rhythms of living. And so let me talk through each of these and the why behind that gathering. So, number one is that we gather on weekends for celebration in a large group. What we're doing right now. And when we do that, we worship. We sit under the teaching of God's Word. 
And uh, we remind ourselves of the centrality of the gospel, right? The songs that we sing keep pointing us back to it's all about Jesus, right? It's about what he did for us on the cross. When we celebrate communion, it's remembering that, hey, it's not about me. It all goes back to who I am in Christ and what he did for me on the cross. We, when we gather in this large setting, we, 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 we kind of get ourselves centered on the gospel again, of what the cross means, of the bad news that makes the good news such good news, right? The bad news that I'm hopelessly, helplessly lost in my sin. But it's only good news because Jesus paid the price to deliver me out of that. And that everything goes back to who I am in Christ. That's why it's Jesus front and center all the time. And so our weekly practice, I believe, all of us should be to do this, to gather consistently weekly in a large group setting to worship for celebration. And I'm not talking about legalism, but we all understand there's value in consistency, right? In habit of not just haphazardly doing things, but doing them purposefully. Because it's so easily to get deceived and influenced by the world. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so we need that disconnection to come back and realign ourselves. We need this weekly rhythm of gathering this way because it's just so easy to drift away from the things that need to be central. And so the purpose behind why we gather weekly in a large group for celebration, if you want to fill in your blanks, are these. Number one is to actively express worship to King Jesus. That when we gather like we are right now, that one of the purposes behind that is to actively express worship to King Jesus. Number two, we do so to take in biblical information. And not just take it in, you know, for head knowledge sake, but to take it in in such a way that it challenges our life to action, to surrender more and more everything over to Jesus. And number three, we gather this way to keep myself centered on the reality that it's not about me, that it's about Jesus. And so in worship, the objective is for me to engage and give my best efforts at expressing praise to Jesus. Now, what engage means is going to mean different to different people. I've been in churches where they do a whole lot of jumping. I'm not a good jumper. I mean, there's gravity working. You know, it's a lot to get off the ground. And when I come back down and want to go back up, not everything has come back down yet. And, you know, I'm not a good jumper. But for some people, that's, that's what engage means. I've been in churches where they run up and down the aisles. Not everybody, but some people. I've been in, you know, all sorts of different environments. Some people raise their hands and are very fluid, and some people sway, and some people just kind of reflectively think and, and, and take it all in. And, and the, the point is, there's not, there's not an exact way of doing this. But whatever engage means for you, 
And it's important that you give your best effort at doing that. At engaging yourself, giving your best efforts at worshiping Jesus. John Calvin said this, The music must not turn the church into an audience enjoying the music, but into a congregation singing the Lord's praises in his presence. Because you see, what happens in worship, there's this danger that kind of just naturally slides in there. What happens for many of us is that we're worshiping and we, 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 we begin to enjoy worshiping. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying worshiping. But what happens is, is it's just so easy to make this slight shift from worshiping God and enjoying it to starting to think it's about my enjoyment. That this is something that's happening to please me. And I think the danger sometimes is that worship can become about me instead of being about God. That's why I love what Ben Patterson says. He says, when we leave a worship service, the question isn't, how did I like it? But rather, how did I do? See, at engaging myself, at entering into the aspect of, of worshiping Jesus. It's kind of like, I tell you what kind of pictures it in my mind really well is, is that scene in The Lion King. It, it happens at the beginning, at the end. It happened this way at, the, at the, the release this summer, and it happened in the version from, the cartoon version from 25 years ago. But, but all the animals of the pride, you remember this, they're coming together. And they're bowed down, and they're coming together. And up on the top of the mountain is that funny monkey thing, and he holds up the king. And everybody bows down. And that's exactly what it is. We're coming together. Only the king that we're holding up isn't Simba, isn't Simba and Nala's child. It's King Jesus. And we come together and we remind ourselves, oh yeah, it's not about me. Oh yeah, I'm not the center of the universe. It's Jesus. It's him. He's the one who's front and center all the time. We, we recenter ourselves on that. Let me give you a little church history. Probably a little is all you want, you know. But, but, you know, the church felt that the celebration, the mass, was for God, not us. That was correct. And so that's why, for a long time, the church felt that it didn't matter that it was in Latin, even though the people didn't primarily speak the Latin, because what they said is it was for God. It wasn't for the people. But the reformers, what they felt is that people could better worship if they understood what was being said. That if the celebration was in the language of the people, it would enable them to engage in worship more. And not only that, they felt that preaching from the Word of God would be a valuable part of worship because that is worship too. We hear God's Word, we take it in, and we respond with surrender. That is worship as well. And so that's why when you come to worship here, when you come to celebrate here, we're going to do it in English because that's the language that most of us speak, and there's going to be preaching as part of it as well. See, all that coming from an understanding of worship. But we dare not let it, in the process of this, become about us. And so the purpose is, again, 
of this weekly gathering are to actively express worship to King Jesus, to take in biblical information, and to keep myself centered on the reality that it's not about me. It's about Jesus. We gather together on the weekends in large groups to celebrate. But not only that, the second gathering that balances that out is that we gather weekly during the week for community in smaller groups in our homes. And when we do that, we set in a circle rather than rows where we're all looking forward. No, we set in a circle so that we can look at each other in the eyes. We know each other by name. We talk about the Bible, but we do it interactively. We do it with the focus on not just learning, but on applying this, of putting it into practice, of not being hearers only, but doing what the Word of God says. And we share personally. In other words, we're not just looking at the truth of the Scriptures, we add to that the truth about ourselves and ask the question, how do I need to put the truth about the Scriptures into practice in my life? What in my life doesn't measure up to the way God would have me do things? And what, what changes do I need to make? What, what visions and, and, and understandings do I need to incorporate into how I approach life in order to be about the kingdom instead of being about me? And we pray. And we pray for each other. And we plan together. We plan things we're going to do to grow into community together. We plan ways that we're going to serve together. We plan ways that we're going to reach out to people who aren't even Christians yet, but who we know needs Jesus and who Jesus loves and died for and would love to see them come to know him. We plan how we're going to do that. You know, I often push back when people call our small groups Bible studies. And the reason I do that is not because we don't study the Bible and scriptures. We do, I mean, in small groups. Every one of our small groups, the Bible's the centerpiece. But it's so much more than that. It's not just a one-dimensional Bible study. It's about coming together to be community together. And so the purposes behind this gathering weekly for community in small groups is to create a safe intimate relationship with a few people that's going to help us walk closer to Jesus by doing these things, if you want to fill in the blanks, by having it be a place of accountability, by having it be a place for prayer, you know, where we're going to pray together and we're going to pray for other people and we're going to get prayed for. That it's a place where we're going to serve each other and we're going to serve together fourthly it's a it's a place where we're going to reach out together to people who aren't yet believers and fifthly we're going to work together to create gospel community listen just because you have a small group or go to a small group doesn't mean that you're experiencing community Community takes work. <clears throat> it takes being vulnerable. 
It takes letting people into your life and choosing to love each other and to depend on each other. You know, we're prideful Americans. It's not natural for us to let other people be that significant to us that we depend on each other. We become gospel community together. I'll give you just a real couple very practical examples from my own small group in the past several months. Just my, my these are my experiences. They're not earth-shaking, but they're my experiences. Uh, one of the things is uh, my dad is the leading stress factor in my life. And some of you understand that. You have aging parents, and you know what it's like to deal with them. I'm an only child, and so the responsibility for my dad falls squarely on my shoulders. And uh, a few months back, I was really whining in my small group about my dad and some more recent things. And uh, it was when we broke down into smaller units to pray. And Dick, one of the guys in our group, so patiently listened to me whine. And, um, and he prayed for me. And he, you know, would periodically ask probing questions. And we did this week after week after week for several weeks. But I, let me tell you what that did. It's because of Dick's involvement in my life, listening to me, praying for me. He helped me take that journey from praying, God, change my dad, to God, change me. Amen. See, that, that, that's community. We need other people in our lives for that. Amen. Another just very practical one is uh, a couple of months ago, uh, Janet and I led a trip of uh, 20-some people from our church to Israel. And uh, if you've ever been a, on a trip like that, you know that you're walking a lot, six-plus miles a day. And I knew that I needed to start walking ahead of that trip or I was going to die in Israel. <laughs> And so I began to say that, and January came and went, and February came and went, and somewhere around the 1st of, of uh, March, one of the guys in my group, Steve, said to me, I'm going to send you a text every morning at 7 in the morning and ask you if you've walked yet today. And so sure enough, every morning, you know, there was this text, have you walked yet? Sometimes it would say, have you got your fat rear end out of bed yet? <laughs> Sometimes it was just that emoji of the guy walking, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that's what it took to get me over the hump to get out there most days and walk enough so that I lived through the Israel trip. <laughs> Again, it's, it's, it's being community together. It's letting people into your lives. It's, it's being there for each other. And then the last thing, purpose of a small group, is that we become part of one another's lives. You know, the most important part of the meeting is what happens between the meetings. That we're, we're involved with each other. We, we're talking to each other, we're texting each other, we're praying for each other, we're doing stuff periodically with each other, we're involved in each other's lives, we're part of each other's lives. And so I believe we all need the gospel community of a small group. And I think the lie that we often tell ourselves is, I don't have time for that, I'm just too busy. But what I'd like to put toward to, for your thinking is that I think our lives are so full and busy 
that we can't afford not having other people invested in our lives. And to be involved in the business of investing in others' lives for Jesus and for the sake of his kingdom. Now, I know sometimes, because we all come out of different backgrounds, some of you, when we talk about small groups around here, you know, in your mind, you think, that is just, that is just so weird, that's just so far, and where'd, where'd you come up with that idea? And I want you to know that the idea of meeting in homes in small groups is very much a biblical concept. In fact, uh, here, I just gave you, here's the grocery list of all the places in the New Testament where it says they met in each other's house. They met house to house. They met in this guy's house. They met in this person's house. Over and over, it's the pattern that they would meet not only when they were size enough, when, they, when there wasn't persecution, they would meet together in rows, but then they would always meet in their homes in circles. And so again, I would remind you that the Bible never tells us to go to church. It tells us to be the church. And so let me ask you what that might mean for you to be the church. Here's where it starts. Let me ask you. Have you come and bowed your knee to Jesus as your Savior and Lord? I'm not asking you if you're going to church. I'm not asking you if you're trying to be a good person. I'm asking you, have you come to that place where you recognize your sinfulness, your hopelessness apart from Jesus, his death on the cross in your place, and you have said, Jesus, I receive. I put my trust in only your finished work on the cross to be the payment for my sin. Come in. Take over. Be my Savior and Lord. That's where it begins. Have you done that? If you haven't done that, then nothing else I've said today is important. What's important is that you hear that and you don't leave here today without talking to someone. Maybe it's the person you know here that's your friend. Maybe it's some, one of these prayer team members. It's someone that you say, hey, I want to be clear on this, that I know Jesus as my Savior and Lord. That's where it starts. Secondly, I'd ask you, your, your, your commitment to the local church. If New Life is your church, are you a ministry partner here? If it's not New Life, wherever your church is that you would consider your home church, are you a member there? You know that you don't just see church as something you go to, it's something you're a part of. You know, I go to Kroger's, but I'm not a member at Kroger's, right? I go to the movies, but I'm not a member at the movies. See, don't put church in that category of something you go to. It's something you're a part of. You know, become a ministry partner if this is your place. And then thirdly, just I'd ask you how faithful and focused you are toward building these two aspects, these two gatherings into the rhythm of your life. I think there's great value in doing so. So, let me wrap it up. Let me give you three application actions that you might consider. And you ask the Holy Spirit if any of these fit for you. Here's application action number one is know why that we gather in these two environments. Or you're likely to just miss the point of doing so, miss the purposes of doing so. They'll, they'll just become ritualistic practices that you do. See, the danger is always letting our faith, our Christianity, letting it become just an external thing. Know the why, that when we come together 
in a large group like this. Why? What, what's the reasons behind that? And are you doing it in such a way that those things get accomplished in your life? When you gather in a small group, know the why so that you can engage with it in such a way that those things happen in your life. Know the why. Number two is I would encourage you to make weekly celebration, like what we're doing here in a large group, make that your regular practice that you're a part of that gathering with consistency. That you, I, I'm not, again, don't hear legalism. I'm not saying you never miss. But what I'm saying is that you plan for it. You schedule it. That you set an alarm clock on Saturday night, just like you do other nights for times you want to get up. That you, you're not just a part of, 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 of a celebration because, well, you weren't too tired or you weren't out too late. or uh, That it's, it's, it's your regular practice. And that when you do so, you lock into worshiping. You know, that you're not just singing. There's not just words mindlessly coming out of your mouth. But that you truly are giving your best efforts at expressing worship of praise, of celebration to King Jesus. That when you sit under the teaching of the Word of God, that you do so with anticipation. That the prayer that maybe you say to yourself or the prayer of your heart is, Holy Spirit, speak to me today. Let me hear whatever I need to hear. And that you recenter yourself on the gospel. That you recalibrate. You know, when I was just a high schooler working at Burger King, you know, we had soda machines just like they have now. And you know, a soda machine, pretty simple apparatus. It's just, you press whatever level and lever, and it, it, it mixes this particular kind of syrup with, with soda water, and boom, you got that kind of beverage, right? Pretty simple. But what happens to the soda machines is over hundreds of times in a day, you know, thousand times over a week or whatever, over and over, they're getting pressed, and what happens is, the mixture level kind of gets out of whack so that they become too syrupy or they become too soda watery. And so what the manager would do is every week or so, he would go and he would recalibrate each of the dispensers on the soda machine so that they were recentered to where they ought to be. Well, here's what I would say. Over the course of a week, your, wife, your life can get pretty much out of whack, can it? And so the regular practice of meeting together in a large group for celebration, I think, needs to be our habit, our practice. Third application point is this. I'd also encourage you to make community and the practices that it takes for it to happen to make that a priority. I'd encourage you to become part of a small group and to understand that your connection to community is far more than just a weekly meeting that you show up at. That you really choose to love these people and let these people into your heart. That you come together with consistency. Again, that you plan for it, that you schedule for it. Again, it's not that you never miss, but that missing is the exception, not the norm. Because it's a priority. That you take ownership of the community. You know, hey, that this is a thing that happens because of all of us. 
It's not the leader's job to make community happen. No, it's all of our jobs to work together for community to happen. You open up your life about your real struggles. You speak into each other's lives. And you let other people speak into your life. You allow accountability to happen. And you choose to, again, engage with each other in a way to depend upon each other in a way that creates gospel community. Well, I'm going to pray here in just a moment, and after I do, we're going to sing a couple more worship songs. And I just want to let you know that, as is our habit when we worship at the end, there'll be prayer team members on both sides over here, and they would love to pray with you and for you. It might have nothing to do with what this sermon was about. It might have something to do with whatever's going on in your life. You can wait till your small group this week to be prayed for, but why not do it now? Take advantage. These people are here. They'd love to pray with you. Or maybe the Holy Spirit's challenged you in a particular way through this message. Then while we're singing, while we're worshiping, you just feel the freedom to get up and just go to one of these people, and they would love to pray with you. Well, let me pray for us right now. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you again to this time that as we sing, that we'll give our best efforts at worshiping King Jesus, at surrendering ourselves, of letting the words that come out of our mouth match the the tone of our heart. So, Lord, we ask you to work during this time for your glory. Lord, give us the wisdom to take anything that maybe has been said today and know where to fit it in to the application parts of our lives and then give us the courage to respond to that, whatever that means. And I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.